Luke chapter 16, and uh, we're reading from verses six, uh, 19 to 31 this morning. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. Now, I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles just so you can make sure this passage is there, right? But then I want you to just close your eyes and to listen, and I want to read from one version, because this parable was made to be listened to. And so just listen. It's there in your Bibles and you can look it up afterwards. We'll be referring to it often. So you'll get there. And I know uh, being good, Wangnui is baptized, or whatever that is, Baptists. Um, you'll be very worried that I'm actually reading what it says in your Bible. So just listen. Listen. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried And his soul went to the place of the dead in Hades. There, in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and to cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home for I have five brothers. And I want him to warn them so that they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said to him, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. So the question we want to look at this morning is this. Where will I spend eternity? Where will you spend eternity? You see, we need to be paying serious attention to this question, much more than just taking a selfie. And sadly, the world only spends that type of energy on this question. It's just time for a selfie. I'll think about it reflectingly, very shortly, fleetingly, and then it's over and I'll carry on with my life. Is that your attitude to eternity? What Jesus teaches us in this parable that he speaks specifically to the Pharisees is that worldly wealth and position have no bearing on where we will spend eternity. That's the first thing. Being rich is not equal to being righteous. 
You see, there are some that think in this world that if I'm rich, I'll be able to solve my problems, even if it is in the afterlife. Being poor is not equal to being righteous either. There are some that think just because they're poor, Jesus will feel sorry for them and let them into heaven. No, that's not what he's teaching here. You see, what he is teaching here is this. And I'm kind of giving the punchline away right in the beginning. Where we spend eternity hinges on one thing. It hinges on obedience to God's offer of salvation as spout out in his word. That's the hinge. Where you spend eternity will depend on your obedience to God while you live this life. That's what Jesus is teaching. So how does he get there? You see, Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees. And if you glance back at chapter 15, he'd been, he'd been warning them that they didn't have a heart for people. They didn't have a heart for the lost. They didn't have a heart for the needy. They were religious. Those were the poor. Those were the ones in need. Those were the ones that were looked down on by God too because they were poor and in need, unlike us. Jesus had warned them. He said, you are lovers of money. We looked at that last week. You are not lovers of God. And then he gives them this parable, this story with a lesson to show them that the consequences of not giving heed to the message of the Old Testament law, the consequences of not giving heed to the hope presented by Jesus himself, the Messiah, those consequences are real and those consequences are dire. They must pay attention. And so he does it in the form of this parable. A story. But it's a story with an important truth. Now, in brackets, just to remind us, when Jesus tells parables, what is he doing? He's telling a story, but there's a central lesson running right through it. And we need to focus on that lesson. That is why this isn't a detailed description of heaven and hell. It isn't a a detailed description of paradise. It isn't a a description of Gehenna. It isn't a description of any of these places that people believed that you were being sent to once you died. This is not a detailed place where you can pick up your theology on hell. It is a story to teach us one truth, and that is, Who are you being obedient to? God or yourself? But looking at this parable, we can learn some facts about the afterlife and those we must pay attention to. You see, Jesus is telling this parable and Jesus knew what the afterlife was like because he's God. So we need to pay attention to what he's saying here. Let's look at the parable in detail as Jesus tells it. He says there was this rich man Not unlike the Pharisees, dressed in their finery, all their bling, gold jewellery, even though it was religious jewellery. There was this rich man, says the Lord. He was ostentatious. He was strutting around like a peacock. He loved finery. He loved to wear purple. If you know anything about those days and purple, it was the finest cloth, the most expensive cloth you can find because of the processes involved in making it. He loved to wear his purple so that everyone could see that he was rich. He loved not just that, but he loved fine linen undergarments. He paid just the best prices 
for just the best clothing and he loved to display it. And then he put on lavish feasts and people would come to these lavish feasts and he wouldn't do it behind closed doors. He would have his feasts in the open where everyone could see because he loved to show that he was wealthy. The rich man. And then in stark contrast to that, and Jesus always does this in his parables, he puts up contrasts. In stark contrast to that, says Jesus, there was this poor man. And he was named Lazarus. Now, there's a reason why Jesus calls him Lazarus, and he doesn't name the rich man. You see, in a way, the rich man had named himself. What was the rich man's name? I am my own God. He didn't need a name. But the poor man, he was specifically called Lazarus. What does Lazarus mean? It means something specific. It means God is my help. That's what the name Lazarus means. God is my help. Do you get the two contrasts? God is my help. I am my own help. And there is this poor man. And he is taken and he's laid outside the rich man's gate. Now that was a common thing they did those days. They used to take the poor and lay them outside the gates of the rich people, so that in passing the rich could look after them. You see, there was an Old Testament law that spoke about looking after the poor from Proverbs chapter 21 verse 13. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. And so, in the Jewish mindset of the, of the Near East, they had to look after the poor. But did they in reality? Many of them didn't, including the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees saw the poor with disdain. They are poor, they are sick, God must not have his favour on them. That's the attitude. And this rich man is seen with the same type of attitude. He, he would pass by that poor man every single day on his, on his way in and out of his gate. He would see Lazarus lying over there. But did he help him? Did he give him, did he give him even of the crumbs from his table? Scripture says, no, the the poor man longed for even just the crumbs from this man's table. But he got nothing. And then, to add to that, he had these open sores. Now, you can imagine the scene. There's this poor man lying there, always in the dust, covered in dirt. And so, any wounds he's got from flies and whatever else is there in the Mideast would develop these sores. And they'd never get well. And so, there was this man lying with his weeping sores. Now, ceremonially, he was unclean because he had these open sores because that's one of the prerequisites of being clean to come and worship at the temple. Here was this man with open sores and so he was unclean. And not just that, he was seen as untouchable by the rich, by the religious And to add to that, the dogs were coming and licking at his sores. Imagine the scene. There's this man. He can't help himself. The dogs are coming to lick on these open sores. Now he's even more unclean. Why? Because dogs were third in the rank from the bottom. First there was who? First there was who? Who was right at the bottom of the Jewish pile? No, no, no. Who was that? No. Tax collectors and Samaritans, especially Samaritans, they write at the bottom of the dung pile. And then tax collectors, Jewish or not. And then dogs. That was the Jewish mindset. And so here these dogs are licking at the wounds of this unclean man. In a way, you get this picture? 
The rich aren't looking after Lazarus, but the dogs are even licking his wounds. Do you get the contrast Jesus is putting in here? The unclean ones are looking after, while the clean ones are not. So Jesus builds up this contrast. And then he brings in a crunch line, as he always does. There's a great reversal that suddenly happens here. You see, on a day, death faces both men. The rich man and the poor man, Lazarus. And Jesus says, they go to different destinations. You see, the, rich, the, the Pharisees were expecting what? The rich man to go to heaven, to paradise. To be there with Abraham and all the great patriarchs. To be at the great feast that Jesus keeps talking about that the Jews knew well enough was there waiting for them in the afterlife. So the rich man must go there. And the poor man, that one that's disgusting, the one that's disdained, he's going to go to Hades, to the place that is far away, to the unclean place, because that's what he deserves. But what does Jesus do? He says these, both men face death. And here's the shock. But the poor man, is carried by the angels. What? The angels? But he's unclean. He's carried by the angels to the bosom of Abraham, to the side of Abraham, at that great feast table. Now, you can imagine a pale Pharisee. Can you imagine a pale Pharisee? It's not so good for the offset between the gold and his face. A pale Pharisee. They would have been in shock at this. This is unheard of. A poor man? An unclean man carried by angels to paradise? Jesus. You see, paradise was the place for important religious people. Like us. That would have been the Pharisee mindset. But no, the poor man's there. And then in contrast to that, Jesus says, the poor man, the rich man died. And there would have been great weeping for him. Great weeping. Because he would have hired people to make sure that there was a great wailing in town. They had to rent a crowd there. You could come and cry and they'd pay you. Alright? Don't get ideas now. But he would have got rent a crowd in there to come and wail. So they had to make a big hubbub because an important man had gone. And there would have been great fanfare. Everyone in town would have known the rich man had died. But... When the rich man opened his eyes in the new life, he was in for a rude surprise too. And so were the Pharisees. Because this rich man woke up in the other place, in Hades, opposite to what he was expecting. That would have been a shock. Now, I want you to pause with the shock on the Pharisees' face. Alright? I'll show you what it looks like. Pause there. I'll come back to that place. Because we need to learn a few important things about heaven and Hades. First thing we can learn about heaven or paradise. And there were various names given to this. The Jewish mindset also had various levels of where people would go. They called them various places and I'll come to that soon. But paradise was a real place after death. And to you and I, paradise or heaven is a real place after death. It is not just a figment of the Christian imagination. It is a real place. One of two alternatives when people die. 
Jesus spoke about it to the thief on the cross, didn't he? Luke chapter 23, which we'll come to a bit later. He said, this very day you will be with me in paradise. Now, was Jesus lying? No. He was the Son of God. He knew what happens after death. The Apostle Paul spoke about this place called paradise when he was taken up in the Spirit to paradise, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. And there God gave him great visions which he could hardly utter. That's what he was talking about, paradise. The second thing we learn about paradise or heaven is that it's a place of no more needs. And I'm sure if you're going through hardship in this life, you're looking forward to that. A place of no more needs. A place of being comforted. A place of peace that doesn't stop. It's unending peace. Being with the Lord. Jesus teaches about Hades too, or hell in our language today. We can learn six things here. Look at your text. It's a real place. It's not just a place to take snappies of when you're jokingly talking to your friends about it. It's a real place after death. The Bible speaks repeatedly about hell. It speaks repeatedly about the place of judgment. Jesus speaks more about hell than he does about heaven in many places in Scripture. Go and look at Mark chapter 9, Revelation 14. I'm not going to stop and do that here this morning. We haven't got time. Go and look up what the Bible says about heaven and hell. I gave you a bit of a handout as well that you can start your exploration. But look it up. It's a real place. It's not just an idea in heads. It's also called Hades. Now try and pick up the clues as to what Hades or hell is like by the descriptions for these places. Hades was also called that which is out of sight. It's out of sight. It was also called Sheol in the Hebrew. And that means to ask insatiably. You keep asking but you never get answers. It was also called Gehenna. Literally the place of outer darkness. It was called Tartarus, or literally hell. And it was called the abyss, the bottomless pit. So to summarize, is it a pleasant or an unpleasant place? Definitely not a pleasant place. Jesus speaks about this. What else can we learn about this place called hell, or Hades? Well, people are alive there. The rich man wakes up in it. People are alive in this place. And so we come against the false teaching of the Seventh-day Adventists where they say you go into soul sleep. No, you actually die and then you wake up alive in a different place. There's no soul sleep. The JWs, Jehovah's Witnesses, who say there's annihilation that happens. You, are, you suffer for a time and then it's all over and you become nothing. No, it's the place of eternal being alive. You are Utterly conscious and in torment. That's what Jesus is teaching through this passage. You've got your accusing conscience. Again and again you'll be reminded of lost opportunities where you could have responded to the gospel but you didn't. Again and again it will play like on a loop in your mind. I could have responded, I didn't. I could have responded, I didn't. And that's why I'm here. It's a place of agony. It speaks of the flames in hell. And we'll get to that story, to the rest of the story now. But there seems to be flames there. And Jesus often speaks about that. There's a great chasm we see as we go into the next verses now. Separating paradise and Hades. What's the lesson from that? Well, once 
you're in one of these two places, there's no opportunity for change. Once death happens, there is no time to change your mind. And so we come against the Catholic teaching of purgatory. Because purgatory teaches that after a while, after you've served for some time, then you will be taken to heaven. No, the Bible doesn't teach that. It teaches the opposite. That's a lie. Once you face death and eternal life, it doesn't change. That state remains the same. And lastly, we, we learn from this parable that there's a time to listen to God's warnings. And if you listen, you can avoid Hades. We'll come to that now. And so we resume our story. Are you with me? Here's a shocked expression. All right. The story carries on. You see, this rich man is lying there in, in Hades. And he sees Father Abraham in the distance across this great divide. And he shouts to him, Father Abraham, please send Lazarus to me so that he can just dip the tip of his finger into water to come and cool my hot tongue. I'm burning here. Note the rich man's attitude. Has he changed at all? No. He still wants Lazarus to serve him, even in hell. You see, we don't change. You stay exactly the same. You don't get better. Here he wants Lazarus to come and serve him, even though he's in hell. But Father Abraham says to him, No, you had your good times on earth, my son. Now Lazarus is having his comfort. You had your privileges on earth. But now Lazarus has the privilege of being comforted at the banquet table of the Lord. This is no time to demand here. You see, their positions had been reversed. The rich man had had his comfort. Now he was unattended and in agony. That was his reality. And then Jesus comes to his central lesson. The one he underlines. Verse 27. Look at what he says. The rich man says to him, Then I beg you, Father Abraham, that you send him to my father's house, because I've got five brothers, so that you can warn them, so that they might not come to this place of torment. But Abraham said to him, You have Moses and the prophets. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, because if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. You see, what was the rich man saying? He was saying, they're not going to listen to that teaching from the Old Testament. They've heard it over and over and over, but they haven't changed. And Abraham says, you're right. They've heard it repeated over and over, that there's a cry from God to come to me and repent. But they would not listen. And you Pharisees, you preach it, but you do not listen. You need to hear. And even if someone were to rise from the dead, you would still not hear. Why? Because there are none as deaf as those who do not want to hear. You see what Jesus was getting at? Time and time again, in the Old Testament, the warning would come from God. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 55. I'll give you some of these warnings. There are many in Scripture. Isaiah chapter 55. These are some of the warnings from the Old Testament about coming to God and being saved. Isaiah chapter 55. This is what it says. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk 
without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. You see, this warning had gone out time and again, right through the history of the Old Testament to the people. There was God calling for people to be born again, calling for people to put their faith in Him. They'd heard it plenty of times. Every Sabbath they would have heard some of these passages. Look at what he says further, verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. What does that say? There will be a time when you can no longer call. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. There's the gospel message in the Old Testament. They'd heard it and not even someone raising up from the dead would open those deaf ears because they didn't want to hear. You see the warning Jesus is putting out here? To the Pharisees. There's a time to repent, says Jesus. And that time is now. While I'm here. While I'm bringing you this message. What was he doing? He was also looking forward and speaking about that time when he himself, the Messiah, the one they had killed, would be raised up from the dead and they would still not believe because they didn't want to hear. Jesus was pointing forward to when he himself would be raised, raised up and they still wouldn't hear. So why do you think this parable would be such a disturbing one to these Pharisees? Why? Because it was describing them. And they must have been wriggling in great discomfort when Jesus was speaking this parable. Because they knew it was true. They were depending on themselves. They were depending on their own being religious. And not on the Messiah. Not on the message of God saying, come to me. They thought they could do it themselves. Well, we need to leave the parable there and ask ourselves, how does that apply to me then? And it's the normal thing we do here, the so what questions. How does this apply to me? Well, firstly, I want to put to you this morning, and this is the first statement I want to make. Obedience to God in this life has full relevance to the life hereafter. What you do with obedience to God in this lifetime has everything to do with the next lifetime. It's a priority statement here. Do you see the urgency? If you are disobedient to the Lord in this lifetime, it will have a consequence in the next. If you're obedient to the call of the Lord in this life, that will have a consequence in the life to come. Obedience is fully relevant to the life hereafter. You see, the Pharisees were being disobedient. They weren't following their own scriptures. They weren't following the law and the prophets. And they weren't following the, the warning by Jesus. The question is, you and I have heard the word over and over and over and over in our lives. If you are 36 years old, you've heard it for 36 years. If you are 76 years old, you've heard the warning 
hopefully for 76 years. But the question is, what have you done about it? You've heard the warning. Have you paid heed to it? Because are you waiting for a miracle? Are you waiting for some miraculous thing to happen here? I can tell you it's not going to happen unless the Lord is gracious. But even then, the Lord says you won't believe because if you're already not listening, your ears are blocked. You don't want to hear. The Pharisees would profess belief in a future life and in a future judgment, but they didn't live in conformity with that belief. So you might say today, I'm a believer. You might profess that publicly, but do you live by that profession? Do you believe what you're saying? Have you done anything about it? Or is it all a profession on the lips? You see, there's a warning. I know plenty of you here, but I can't see your souls. And for some of you, you say you've been a Christian for 80 years, 70 years, 40 years, 10. I can go by what you say, but I can't read your heart. God can. Have you done something about your obedience to the Lord? Are you prepared for the next life? How will that show? By what you're chasing every day. That's the evidence. What do you spend your time chasing? It will show the state of your heart. The second statement I want to make to you this morning is this one. After death, we all face only one of two destinations, real places. Where are you headed as you're sitting in your seat today? Where are you headed? You can't fool God. But you are headed in one of two places. It's a priority question for you. While you're still alive, none of us know how long we're going to live. None of us know. But where are you headed as you sit in that seat this morning? It's one of two destinations. Edward Moat wrote a beautiful hymn. And if you're a Christian here today, you know that when you die, what do you face? When you open your eyes in death, you are with the Lord. Do you still take hope in that? Or has it kind of become a thing that's faded away for you? As a believer here today, you've been saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He's promised you when you, when you close your eyes and you open them in eternity, you will be with me. Do we still have hope in that Saviour? Or has it kind of been watered down by what's been happening in our lives? You see, do we hold on to that? Edward Moats wrote this beautiful hymn and many of you will know it and we'll sing it afterwards. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Tell me, where are your feet today? Your lips say they profess the name of Jesus Christ, but where are your feet rooted? Are they on solid rock? or on sinking sand. Hold on to Jesus Christ because He is your hope when you leave this life and you enter the next. He is your hope if you're a believer. And if you're an unbeliever, what does Scripture teach us this morning? It says that when you die, you will be separated in that very instant from God's presence and you will endure eternal torment in hell forever. And when I say you will be separated from God's presence, you will be separated from His grace. 
but he is still present in hell. Now, that might be something new to you. God is going to be present in hell, but what is going to be present there? It is him working his judgment in hell. That's what you will be exposed to. You can't get away from him. You will be there with God, but he will be working his judgment on you. The moment you close your eyes in death, there is no more time to change your mind. It is over. There is a time to come to the Lord. You're hearing this message once more today. There is a time to come to the Lord. John 3.36 Hear the call of Jesus Christ to you this morning. He says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, I'm not saying this. God is saying this to you. Do you know God personally? There is still time to come to Him today. And I'm very happy to meet with anyone afterwards who wants to speak about how can I know that I can be saved? Tell me. And then thirdly and lastly this morning, I want to put you to this. And if you're a believer here today, this is another lesson we can get from this parable. Do you have a heart for the lost? Are you like those Pharisees? You see the lost every single day. They pass you by at work. They pass you by in the street. But you pay no attention to them. There is no yearning in your heart to see people saved. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to put that yearning there. Do you have a yearning to see the lost saved? More than that, when you see need around you, do you do something about it? Like that poor man. Or do you just pass people by? There are many opportunities in this town where we can help those who are in need. There's the food bank. There's contributions that you can make. There's service you can make towards helping people. But what are you doing to serve the needs of those who are less fortunate than you and I? That's part of our Christian testimonies. Jesus put a question to you and I. And you and I need to answer his question. I'm going to put it to each of you. This is Jesus' question to you this morning. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? When you come to the end of your life, what will you have to show for a life lived? You see, in actual fact, this passage we've been looking at this morning is not about heaven and hell at all. But it's about who you trust to take you into eternity. Do you trust Jesus Christ or do you trust yourself? The destination is guaranteed. But who do you trust? Jesus Christ or yourself? Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, you put these warnings before us, so often in Scripture, that we are to be obedient to your word, your word which goes out so often. We hear it on the radio, we hear it, we see it on television, we hear it in pulpits, we we hear people talking about you, but you say to us, what would you do with Jesus Christ? Will you believe me or will you turn your back on me? Lord, may each of us 
give an answer to the Son of Man today. Amen.